Thank you guys so much for being so good to us and our families. Families are so grateful for you allowing us to minister to your little people. Uh, that matters to me. Uh, at one point in time, I was a little person. How many of you been little before? Still got pictures of when you were little. Yeah. You haven't been little for a while. But God is good to us, isn't he? Yes. He allows you to live long enough to where you can think back and reflect on when you were small and, and someone had to take you somewhere and drop you off and make sure you were able to, to, to make things happen for you. Those are all things that you sometimes forget when you get older and you're able to go where you want to go, when you want to, and leave when you want to. Uh, say you like it or don't like it. Uh, that, that changes. But when you bring your little people to church, uh, I think it really talks to us about uh, generations and how God really wants us to be thinking generationally. Uh, when you see the scriptures and the text, God's always talking about generations. He, even in the, in the beginning of the gospels, he talks about the generations of, from David all the way to Jesus. And, and then if you go into Genesis, then there's this long list and line of generations because God is thinking generationally. And I, I can't help but think about how we should be thinking the same way. How is it that God might want us to think generationally and we might be thinking weekly? You, you're thinking weekly, weekend to weekend. You're thinking uh, season to season, Christmas to Christmas, or whatever it is is your normal rhythm of thinking about when the kids are going to go back and all this other stuff. And we get so small in our thinking. And God wants us to elevate that and maybe begin to think generationally. What might your next move be if you were to consider generational movement versus just seasonal movement? What might your, your next step be? What might your decisions look like if you were to think bigger than what you normally think or what we normally think? I'm encouraged by that. So I want you to be thinking that way too. So thank you for bringing your young people and allowing us to help prepare the next generation and help, help I think, infuse the next generation with godly principles. Uh, that can't be underestimated. That can't be understated. Uh, there's so many things that are bombarding us as believers that the worst thing I think we could do is to turn a blind eye to the fact that we need to make sure that our children are uh, uh, equipped, and I mean that sincerely, equipped with the gospel. Uh, not just that they know the stories, but they're outfitted. Uh, not just that they know what church looks like and how to behave in it, but they know how to act and interact in a world that's anything but kind to believers. Uh, and as the day approaches, it will become more and more acidic to the believer. And so we have to make sure that we just prepare our kids to realize that this isn't an easy assignment, but it is an assignment nonetheless. It doesn't mean that every day will be uh, treacherous and angry and filled with all kind of, uh, you know, weights and pains. No, there's days where there's joy and there's, there's happiness in this as well. And we should be thinking about that with our children, prepare them uh, openly for what they will experience. And I think also to be able to point out things in the world that, are, are contrary to God's word. Uh, I don't know how many of you do this on a regular, but I, I, we make it a point at our house that we'll elevate something that's wrong in the world. Like this is wrong, or you see this in the news, this is wrong, and this is why this doesn't line up with God's word. So that you could, you're teaching kids, you're teaching your children how to be able to hear and to be able to distinguish and tell the difference between the voice of a stranger and the voice of the good shepherd. That's hard news because I talk to a lot of people who are Christians, I believe they are, but they don't, they don't know how to distinguish difference between good and bad. Let me give you an example. I had someone, I saw someone, a same-sex couple get married online not too long ago, and they were like, put their picture up. They're excited about their beginning of their new relationship. And I saw a believer give it a thumbs up, congratulations, we're so excited for you. That's not being able to tell the difference between the voice of a stranger and the voice of the good shepherd. That's unfortunate. But you, you, by even condoning some things, Romans chapter one, even by you saying, I condone some behaviors that I know are not with God, you are not teaching your children that that is not right. Now we can land and talk about same sex, but that's not the only thing. There's a lot of things that we, we condone and we say yes to in our behaviors that is not with an alignment with what God wants for us to be. My, my, my words for you, my encouragement for you, is to be able to clearly distinguish what I will condone, participate in, elevate, thank, or say yes to, applaud, clap, smile, thumbs up, whatever it is that you might wanna do. Is that what God's word says? And that's my stance on it, it's what God's word says about it. That's a tough word, isn't it? 
You started off with this this morning, Pastor. You must be ready. Well, I got to get it all out. I got to get it all out. I got to help you so that you then won't look like a clown saying that you're a believer, but you don't know what believers believe. <laughs> Isn't that funny how Christianity is? It's Christianity is such polarized. It's polarizing. We think that it's all inclusive, like, yeah, and God does love everybody. Everyone intrinsically have the same value, but sin is still sin. And we don't, we don't just stand on the fact that the sin is sin and we're, we're righteous. No, because we all know that we came into this room by grace. We walk out by grace as well. So it's not us better than anybody else, but it's us being able to say that even when I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong. There are some people who are wrong, they don't even know they're wrong. And what I'm wanting you to do is say, like, listen, when I know I'm just getting off track and I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, I'm desiring things I shouldn't desire, I'm acting out the way I shouldn't act out, at least when someone comes up to me and says, you know you're wrong, I can say, yeah, you know I am. And I can let conviction deal with me because if I don't feel convicted, then the scripture says that my heart's begin to get hardened and I'm not convicted by anything anymore. We just got to be able to understand that. I'm not saying that you should walk around here like you're a saint because nobody in here is a saint. And we know that we've had our conversations, as King James says, with the world as in times past. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you've done. Some of us might have experimented in same-sex relationships. Some of us might have been drunkards. Some of us might have been, uh, you know, pimps and prostitutes. And some of us might have went ahead and sold and did. And then we stole and we've done all kind of different stuff. We've cheated. We've been guilty of all this, you know. Even some guilty of murder in the room, but no one knows about it. So all these things that you have to think about, yeah, that's real. That happens in rooms, right? If the percentages are true, somebody in here is a, somebody, I don't know who. Keep it a secret. But what, but what we need to know and what you need to know is that the Lord's scripture is so clear because if you don't know that you're sick, then when do you ever look for help? If you don't know that you're hurting, if you don't even know that that's not normal or that that shouldn't be, when do you say, I'm in need of a savior? You can't do it. It's impossible. And that's what the scriptures are supposed to do. The gospel is supposed to elevate the righteousness of God so that we could see that we're in need of salvation. And in that place, then we realize how good he is because he's already given us a solution and an answer. And the fact that we realize, isn't that funny? You can live a whole life and you finally realize you're sick. And you finally realize you're sick, and then we elevate the fact that God has a cure. And you say, he's had the cure the whole time? He's had the cure the whole time. You just realized you were sick. And then that's why we see people cry and weep when they come to the, the fact and the knowledge that the gospel is here to save. The story is that it doesn't have to stay that way. That's why we are so grateful and we say, God, thank you so much, because when I didn't even know that I was in need of a savior, when I was yet without strength, you had already had a plan for me. And thank you for being gracious with me all along when I was running and doing my own thing and trying to find, find fixes in, in, in the world and in my own flesh and everything, place, every place else. Thank you for having an answer and a solution for me. Isn't that something miraculous and amazing? Amen. That you didn't even know that you needed him, but he knew and he was so kind, so patient with you that from afar off, he said, you know, okay, keep coming, keep coming. I know you keep making mistakes. I know you keep messing up. Keep coming this way. I got something for you. And then all of a sudden you get to the realization that, man, I'm in sick. I'm, I've been sick my whole life. And now all of a sudden he's got solutions for me. He's good that way. <laughs> Well, that's not really what I came to tell you, but today we're going a little bit further. Part two, the series, the last series of Mending Place at South City. Part two, you're in here, no gimmicks, no gimmicks. I want you to just put that in your notes. If you have not written that in your notes, you should just keep commit that, just a phrase, no gimmicks. There's no gimmicks in this walk. There's no gimmicks in our, our, our Christendom. There's no gimmicks in how we're going to overcome the enemy. There's no gimmicks in how we're going to be victorious in our life. There's no get rich quick schemes in the body of Christ. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, you're not going to call 1-900 and then in like 30 minutes, I'm going to give you the secrets to all the real estate, in, real estate secrets in the world. You're going to buy houses, you're going to trade houses. And the next thing you know, you're going to be a multimillionaire. All you have to do is just pay 99.95 and you'll be... <laughs> There is no way you're going to be able to see that happen in the body of Christ in Christianity. There's not a get rich, get well, get healthy, get married, have kids real quick scheme that you're going to see within the scriptures or even in the life of a believer. Look at the room and no, no one in the room will ever say that this has been quick or easy. 
how I got here or where I'm going, I know it won't be quick or it won't be easy. There's no gimmick. So gimmick is a trick or a device intended to attract attention, publicity, or business. And sometimes the church has been guilty of being gimmicky. Is that right? Yes. Oh, we're gimmicky. Sometimes the way we put, present a, a, a series, we're gimmicky. We want you to think about Hollywood when we present a series. We want to we wanna share with you uh, some some new book that's out, so we'll name a series after it, so it'll bring you into the room so you can be really engaged and intrigued at how we're gonna discuss this, and you know, all that stuff. Listen, you don't remember some of those gimmicks and those little fr- phrases when, when, when the chips are down? There's no gimmicks that are gonna help you get through that stuff. I, my son was uh, reminding me uh, of, a, of a phrase that I learned in, in, the, in law enforcement. It says that it, when it, situations arise, you'll never perform to, to your own expectations. You only perform to the level of your practice, your training. That if you, there's no way you're gonna do what we see in movies where the person who's never picked up a gun, who's never picked up a bow, who's never picked up a knife, who's never, never disarmed a bomb, all of a sudden they're gonna be able to disarm the bomb, pick up the knife, they're gonna, they're gonna be able to fly the plane. They know how to fly planes, drive tanks, and diesels, and every other vehicle they ever just jump on, motorcycles. They're just uniquely trained to just do all that. And when the movie started, they were a high school teacher. Like, how in the world did all of this happen? There's no gimmicks in this. Without practice, without training, you'll never be able to overcome it. No stunt, no scheme, no contrivance won't happen. So today I'm talking to you specifically about good ground. What is it going to look like for you to find your good ground? Hear what I said, your good ground. Your good ground. You need to find good ground, but there's some things I wanna share with you about good ground that you might not know. So I'm just gonna be talking very plainly through uh, this because I want you to get this so that when you're looking for a new church home, when you're looking for a church home in general, whether it's this time or next time, that you are aware of what it looks like to look for a church home. But I wanna say this about good ground. Good ground is not perfect ground. Number one, you need to write that down. So. Whatever it is that you're thinking about perfection that'll be perfect for you, get that out of your mind. Good ground is not perfect ground. I, got, I see farmers on the way home that they got good ground. I've seen crops produced over years, this and that and this and that, corn and wheat, corn and wheat, milo, corn and wheat, milo, the rotation is going on, and it's produced and produced. But guess what? They got to take care of that ground. So good ground is not perfect ground. It's important for you to know that. And most people, this is not, this is, this is, won't be you because I'm telling you in advance. You might want to get this one, save the message. Most people think that finding a ground is about what they can get out of the ground. Finding good ground is about what you put into the ground. You cannot say that you found good ground, but you then have not sown in it. That makes you the biggest fool. It's not just good ground because you see other people, you see other things, or you see potential. But for you to say that I have found good ground and you have not appropriately or properly or have invested in it, then you have missed the benefit of having good ground underneath your feet. Some of you, and I hate to say this, but it's true. I say this not to, to, to shame or brag or anything like that. I hope you, that you would take advantage of it in the next season. You have been standing on good ground but you have not fully invested in the good ground. That doesn't mean it's the only piece of good ground. It should just inform you that when you find that again, that you would then fully be invested so that you could be the beneficiary of all that the ground could produce in your life. You've been a part of a good relationship, but you you didn't invest fully in it, and you you weren't aware of it until the relationship was gone that you realized that that was a good one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I kind of blew that one. And now I'm aware of what was good versus what is bad. Sometimes it has to happen that way in life for us to fully learn and understand some things. And that's okay. God knows. And he's got grace for that. And he's got a plan for you in this next and coming season. Finding that good ground is there means that you should then be willing to sow into it. And sowing into it as a believer when your next church home, your next church family, sowing into it is not just financially, but it is. It is time, 
it is resource, it's your abilities, it's your giftings, that if I'm going to be there, I'm going to commit, I'm sowing myself into this place because I believe that there's no greater return on investment than sowing into the local church. How many of you actually are investing for your future retirement? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, yeah. If you're not, I hope you do, because you're gonna live longer than you think. So, so when you end up thinking about this and you start thinking about your investment, what am I doing on a natural level and how does that model what I should be doing on the spiritual level in my family and my life right now? And how does the community that I'm in, not just the church community, but Wichita or wherever it is you're hearing or listening from benefit from me being committed to the good ground that God has given me, wherever that might be. Uh, number three, I wanna give this to you about finding a ground. And then I'm gonna go into Genesis and we're gonna see what the scripture says about it, but I just wanna highlight these points and we're gonna see those things filtered through the scripture. Uh, just because you have landed doesn't mean you have died. Just because you have landed on good ground doesn't mean you have died. And we see this to be true in John chapter 12. The scripture says that, that the seed has to what? Fall to the ground and die. Yep. Not just fall on the ground, but you have to fall on the ground and then die. There's a level of dying for everyone who will be a good participant in the community, someone who's a contributor in the community, that there's some things you have to die to. You've heard me say this in the room, that the diversity that's here in Mending Place only happens because there's sacrifice that has to be made every time you come into the building. Every time you come in the building, you have to sacrifice what? Your likes, your preferences, the things that you would like to see, that there's a level of dying that's required just to even sit because you don't sit by people who look like you or maybe come from the same place as you, have the same financial ability as you or the same educational background as you or know the people that you know. There's not, the music is not gonna always be the same. It's not the way that you have normally heard it when you were younger. Normally you're used to hymns, but we don't do that or normally you're used to this type of thing or that type of thing or preaching like this or communion like this or baptisms like this and you don't get any of those things, but you might get something else that it is not unique for us to say that if we're going to be diverse or if we're going to fall into good ground, that good ground requires a sacrifice. And when the scriptures tells us that it must be a seed must what? Fall to the ground and die, that it's twofold. It's two stages. It's just, not, it's just not the falling and landing and finding a good place, but then you being able to say, okay, this is a place I could die. There was an elder that was at a church that I used to attend named Elder King. And it was something that he used to always say all the time. He would say that I found a place that I could die in. I said, what? Well, that doesn't make sense to me because we always want to go to a place where I could thrive and live in. But he was like, no, no, no. I found a place that I could die in, that I could give myself fully to that I could resign to the fact that I won't necessarily look for another if this it gets uncomfortable or if this gets uh, outside of the norm or what I used to like or what I liked about it when I first got here. Do you know that most people come to churches and they leave for the same reason they came? I know. Because I know people would like to tell me all the time, you know, I was, I was coming, I liked the preaching, but then all of a sudden the preaching changed. <laughs> That's what they say. I liked the music, but then all of a sudden Jonathan wasn't up playing anymore. Both Jonathans. You know what? I liked it when they used to wear the t-shirts, but now they don't wear the t-shirts anymore. I liked it when church started at 10.15 and not 10 o'clock. They they changed the timing. That's when I can't, I lost it. I lost it then. They used to have the kids in the sanctuary, but then the kids started going back to the room. The kids were in the back room. You know what? They they changed it. They used to have coffee out front. Now they don't have coffee anymore. I used to come because I I could drink coffee and and eat uh, snacks and and everything out in the foyer before I got here. And some of you are so crazy, they used, to, they used to pass the offering plate, but now they don't pass the offering plate. I can't get with a church that don't pass the offering plate. I know. All that stuff, all that stuff that you, that you change and you start thinking about it, it's the same reason you end up leaving. The same reason you say, ooh, I like it over there. Be careful, because as soon as that changes, you better know that you're, you're at a place not because your preferences are being met, because all that stuff is subject to change. What's there principally? Now, that God doesn't say that he doesn't give you preferences and that you shouldn't find things that you like and enjoy. That's okay. But it cannot, your preferences can never trump or be paramount over God's principles. Is that right? All right. And so then lastly, the law of increase requires death to come before harvest. You, there's no way that your next is going to be better or greater, good ground, 
won't come unless you believe in the law of increase, the law of increase, the law of better, because God is always taking us on to better, means that there has to be a death before increase comes. So you're gonna have to resign yourself to saying that this is over with, and God has next for me better. And in that, you open yourself up to the law of increase. You have to. Nothing grows until something dies. Side note, what area of your life is still immature? Whatever area of your life is still immature, I challenge you to look through your life, your patterns, your likes, your dislikes, and see what has not yet died to bring you into another level of maturity. Something there that's still alive that needs to die. But you know things about dying is weird, is that have you ever seen someone really struggling for their life? Let me see your hands. Real life, someone struggling on the line of life and death, whether at the hands of someone else, maybe their own hands, maybe there was an accident, you see people struggling, trying to live. You ever heard or seen someone gurgling, someone trying to struggle to get the next breath, or someone being choked out? You ever seen someone getting stippling in the eyes where they're straining so hard that the blood vessels in the eyes are popping and, and bursting and their eyes are all red? Anybody ever seen something like that? No? A few people. Can I tell you that anything, anything that's alive will fight to stay alive? Even your sin? Even your sin, even your challenges, even that stuff, it's gonna, you, you can't put it down like go to sleep and just go to sleep like you're euthanizing your sin and it's gonna be okay. Just go to sleep and, and we can walk away from it. You're gonna have to struggle to fight with that thing. How often? Daily. You have to crucify the flesh how often? Daily. Daily, 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 daily. Sometimes I got to choke that stuff out every day. And then it comes right back alive again. And I got to choke it out again. Because that's just the way it is with sin. And if you've never really seen someone wrestle like that in the natural, or an animal wrestle, or something wrestle to stay alive, and how, how, how primal it gets, it's the same way with your life. And as you think about things that need to die for you to go on to your next, it won't be cute or pretty, it might not even always be public, but there will be a wrestling to die, to kill that thing out in your life. Genesis chapter one, here's the steps. I'm gonna take you through 12 things that are scriptural, not just me preferential. They're scriptural to what good ground looks like. I had to go to Genesis because I felt like when the Lord is talking about ground and good ground, what we know about the ground at its core, is always taught at the very first time it's mentioned. And if you go to Genesis, it's mentioned there the first time. We start talking about ground and what the Lord wanted and planned for the ground. And this, I think, would inform you. I won't read all of everything in between. I'm just gonna read chunks and pieces for time's sake. But then I want you to go back and unpack it if you want to a little bit further, uh, that you would be able to see these principles played out through the text and how this might inform us to how you should think about looking at your next spot your next spot. It should be, I think, given to you from this place, that you can see the, oh, see what the Lord said here, and how does that then transfer? How can that be synthesized into me making a decision on where I'm going to, to be, where I'm going to plant myself, the Holy Spirit's help guiding me to this place. In Genesis chapter one, verses nine through 10, this is New King James I'm gonna be reading through, is that God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. One thing that you need to know about finding good ground is that good ground is always separated from other things in the earth. The church in, in its unique makeup and shaping is that it's separated from this and that. We see the ground here separated from the waters that there's a distinction between the church and the world. Whatever it is that you go next, let it be that there's a clear distinction between what is God's house and what is the world. Does that make sense? 
It does not mean to be siloed. It does not mean to be weird. I caution you not to go to a place where there's cultish behaviors and you do weird things only behind the four walls of that building and then you don't do them other places. Yes, there's, there's a part and a role that we play within the church, but the rules and the parameters of how we, we organize and how we do life, how we govern, they're different in this place than they are in other places and other entities and other systems in the world. Does that make sense? How things behave on land are different than how things behave in the water. It's just different. When you come in this building, there's core cultural components on the wall to say that in this space, this is how we behave in this space. This is how we do life. Wherever it is you go, be clear. Every church, every place should have it. I'm not saying that it's not there. You should figure out what it is. is This is how we behave in this space, that it should be a separation between this and that. That the way we lead here is different than the way the government leads in the United States. The way God has given us to ordain leadership in this place is different than what we see at your job. Different than what we see in other parts of the country, world, whatever. So just think about that when you go. Number two, Genesis chapter 1, 11 through 12 says this. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself, on the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Wherever you go next, make sure there's good vegetation there, that God's word and principles are in play, and there's an environment created that sustains life, development, and maturity. Has to be there. Is there enough vegetation for us to eat, for us to develop, for us to grow? Is there enough good things? Because the Lord says that he will then cause us to what? Make us to lie down in green pastures. That there's gotta be a place that you know that the leadership and or the community have created vegetations that you would be able to eat freely. That you would be able to grow and your, your husband, your wife, your children, your, your friends, the people you invite, that there would be food there for them to grow and for them to develop that it wouldn't be monopolized, it wouldn't be used to, to, to play people, to, to, to manipulate, to maneuver around things that people need, but you, you need to know that I could develop here. There's enough word going on for me to grow and develop here. There's enough godly principles that challenge me, to encourage me. There's enough of that going on in the room that I won't be in the room and starving at the same time. Be careful because you could do that. The reason why I knew I needed to leave the very first church that Heather and I attended was because when we would get done on Sunday mornings, we would then find ourselves going home and looking at other preaching and other ministering so that we would be able to sustain ourselves because there wasn't enough food being, being taught in the room anymore. We'd outgrown that. Does that make sense? I encourage you to use that as a marker for you that at some point in time when there's like, you know what, I, I was getting fed and, and now I don't know. Now, be careful because sometimes you could just be in a place where you're just immature in the first place and you just don't like what people are cooking. Now, my grandma was the same way. No, 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 you, when you get hungry, you'll eat. That's what she would say. I was picky. Didn't like broccoli or pinto beans. And she liked both of those things. And she was always cooking them. And I'd be like, I don't want to eat. But when I got old enough and I got hungry enough, I realized that that was pretty good. And so when, I, when, I, when I'm telling you right now and encouraging you is to say, when you go someplace, make sure there's plenty of vegetation there so that you would be able to sustain yourself. And what I mean by that is don't go somewhere where they're, where they're preaching a watered down academic word. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Something that pierces the heart, the soul, that gets down to what you need so that you could be the better, so that you could be challenged, so that you could eat, so you could develop. It'd be easy for you to go to a place and be like, oh, that was interesting, that was lovely. And you walk out of there and you check in a box because, but you have not been challenged by anything that's going on in the room. I tell you, the vegetation has to be rich enough for you to be in the room. Isn't that right, Mike? That's true. 
Keep going with me, number three. Genesis chapter one, this is verse 24, 25. And then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle, creepy things, the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You need to make sure that there is discipleship making at the core of where you go. The reason why I'm getting this is because things are producing after their kind. Disciples are being made. Christians produce other Christians. Does that make sense? How do I know that's happening? Well, when was the last time you saw a call for salvation? Be careful. Because the beginning of discipleship is an actual invitation to come in a relationship with Jesus. The beginning of discipleship is what? An invitation to come into a relationship with Jesus. If you go to a place where you never see anybody coming to get saved, there's never even an opportunity for anyone to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Don't attend there because why? Discipleship has to start somewhere with an invitation. It starts there. It's not with the six-stage class that you have in the back. It's not with the, it's not with the, the program that you, you teach because elder this or deacon this or whoever this is teaching the class and you go to their house once a week or whatever it is. That's not the beginning of discipleship. How can you start making disciples if no one ever is invited to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Christians produce after their own kind. And if no one's talking to you about that in the church you go to, there's nobody getting saved. There's nobody even asked to get saved. What you can guarantee if you come to here was what? At the end of the service, what I'm going to say, somebody might be in the room who has not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Why? Because that's what the church should do. There's no way that you can preach the gospel, not cast a net. Does that make sense? Be careful, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open when you're in a place because you need to know that can I invite some of my unsaved friends into this space and they get an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be important to you. That you're thinking not about yourself but also the unsaved that are in your life. Is there a place that I can invite them that they would be able to get an invitation? You, you will know that these that discipleship is important by salvations, marriages, baptisms, and babies. <laughs> we don't necessarily control the last one too much, babies. But, but you see a church that's healthy and growing and developing having all these things. You know one reason why South City died? Why we're here right now? Obviously, it's God's ultimate plan. But what they stopped doing is they stopped having babies. Yeah. Young people left the church. You cannot out-preach. You cannot out-preach a youth ministry that's no longer in existence. Do you hear what I'm saying? You cannot out-praise a youth ministry that's not in existence. You cannot, you cannot outperform services to the community and otherwise without another generation. I started off the whole message talking about that. You cannot do that. You will not be able to sustain yourself in a church that does not have anything for young people, discipleship making even to the little bitties. If you don't have that, then you will not be around for a long time. How many of you come from churches that they had no longer had youth ministries and they are no longer in existence? Anybody know what that looks like? Or they're limping along. They're old enough to pay the bills but there's no way they're gonna do anything else but stay insulated in that building and that building becomes their coffin. Be careful. Just elevating that for you because these things produce after their what? Own kind, if you read the scripture that I read. For number uh, four, Genesis chapter two, verse four through five. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day the Lord made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the fields was in the earth, and before the herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. God is the center and the genesis of everything that happens in that building. That's how you know it's going to be good ground. The Creator is praised above the creation. How do I know? The Creator is praised above the creation. It's okay to praise and give, acknowledge fruit. And that's not what I'm saying. It's okay to acknowledge fruit. It's okay to see that we will know a tree by its fruit. It's okay, that's scriptural. But anytime that it gets out of balance to where we praise those things above, above the one who has done the good work, the one who has created those things, we're in trouble. Why am I telling you all this? There's no gimmicks. I'm telling you this because there's no gimmicks to it. And if you are a type of person who just goes to a church because you just like it. 
You, uh, you should be able to articulate why it is that you're in that place or what it is you're looking for. And many times we don't really know. We just find ourselves in a place and thank God he's gracious to us and we get into a good community and, and God can then begin to instruct us and say, this is one reason why you really like it there or this is one reason why this has been good for you. This is why this is important to you. I don't want you to leave here and to walk out into the, well, the wild and be like, well, I guess I'll just go and anywhere because it's close to the house or I got a friend who goes there or you know, I, I, I know somebody on their leadership team or whatever, and it still doesn't meet these, these guidelines for you. Because these are not my guidelines, I'm just showing you through the scriptures how we should, we should identify good ground, wherever it might be. And it might not be a good building. It might not be a fancy place. Can I tell you that? Yep. It might not be that. Uh, we weren't fancy. You wouldn't have shown up in the beginning. Some of you two, you, you, you're bougie spiritual. You would have never showed up. You'd have never ever showed up when you saw the pastor getting out of his van with these big old concert speakers and lugging them into the building. You'd have never showed up. You'd never showed up with his wife singing 10 feet from the microphone and, and doing praise and worship. You never showed up. You wouldn't have shown up with Abby when she didn't have no worship team and she was just a speaker and an amp and she was just with her guitar playing. You'd have never shown up when all the, all the youth met in one room and had separated in the corners. You'd have been like, oh, I can't do that. But guess what that was? It was good ground. Being able to identify that even when it's in an embryonic state is important for you. Not always will it be in a more mature place where it, comfortable seating, refurbished building, parking lot, parking lot attendants, all other stuff, good ground, it's good ground, wherever it is in its place of development, wherever it is along the way, you need to be able to identify that. You need to do it, because we didn't always look like this, but we were always principally good ground. And you might find yourself in some place like that. I remember when Mike showed up, uh, remember when your husband showed up? Your husband showed up and he was traveling all the way from Mays to South Wichita, at an undescript rec center, Osage rec center, and it didn't make sense. It didn't, it didn't make sense. He showed up, and I, the first thing I told Heather, I was like, oh, he won't keep coming back because it don't look good around here. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not polished enough yet. And he kept showing up anyway. Sunday after Sunday, Sunday, when it was 15 people, three people, four people, sometimes 20 people showing up, he kept showing up. And now Jewel's here with her daughters and everything else when they finally got here. And it was one of those things that he could see something that other people couldn't see in that moment. And I encourage you to have those type of spiritual eyes, that you can see something when it's not necessarily at its final state or its, its strongest state, but you can see this. This is why I'm teaching this to you, so that you wouldn't be duped by buildings or programs or things like that that people are normally duped by, but you would be able to accurately divide, is that good ground or not? Can I get there? Can I be there with them? Uh, Genesis chapter two, this is five. Genesis chapter two, verse six, one verse. But, the, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. What is this symbolically and symbolically saying to us is that there must be the Holy Spirit there. That you must be refreshed and it must not be scripted. That the Holy Spirit is the one feeding the room, feeding the community, feeding the culture, adding to the environment. That the mist, the water, oftentimes in scripture represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was being brought in not by man, but the ground itself, the earth. God was giving to the earth for it to develop and to grow. And you know, and you should know, that it is from within and not from without. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit moving and working in the room is important. How do I know that God wants me to be in a place? I'm telling you that I would not go to a place to where it was so scripted that the Holy Spirit was not moving in the place at all. Now, does that mean that God's not talking to people in churches that they got a tight program? It does not mean that, so stop. Don't be crazy. Don't go around talking like that. God, God knows how to get to people, so don't. Don't you be deceived by that. I'm just telling you that there's something you should consider that if, is there a way that I could be able to determine whether or not the Holy Spirit is working and flowing? You have to pray into that. You have to think through that. And you have to allow the Lord to show you things that he is doing that men can't take the credit for in the room. Does that make sense? Yes. There's balance in that. 
Because uh, I'm not the type of person that says, because we believe in praying in the spirit, we believe in laying hands on people, we believe in anointing people with oil and, and, and rebuking devils, binding devils, casting out devils, we believe in all that. Teach it, practice it, believe in it, me. But there's a way in which you can do that to where it's not all that or all this. That's going to be hard to find, I will tell you that, because I'm going to be looking for it myself. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and this is number 6. Healing of mankind. That's what this is all about. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 7, did I give you that? Yeah. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God formed man of the dust of the ground, that in the ground, as we're talking about finding good ground, that you should see healing there from this place, healing of the soul, and it should be that in that way that we are speaking to the issues of the soul that are, that are core to mankind, core to women, children, it's core. The issues are core to us as believers. That is not just uh, things that are issues that are economically concerning to us or politically concerning to us but things that are core to mankind because there's one thing that's true that when we heard, we all hurt the same. It looks the same, it, it, it feels the same. Pain is pain regardless of how much money you make or how much education you have, you might just be able to mask it differently but it's still nonetheless pain. Does that make sense? An abused child in a low income house is the same as an abused child in a multi-million dollar family. It's the same. And you want to go to a place to where you will not, where all those things that we normally divide ourselves with, they are erased, and we're spoke to the heart, the soul of who we are, and not who we are in some, some fabricated standing that the world has given us. The word is coming in such a way it's going to hit you too. It's going to hit you and hit them and hit them, and we all are different places. We're all going to go get in our different cars, go to our different houses, our different zip codes, and go to our different jobs. But when I'm in that space... We're all common. We're all equal because that's how the gospel and the word is presented in such a way that it deals with the soul of a man and it begins to heal mankind in this way. Does that make sense? Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight of God for food. The tree of, of life uh, was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is this talking about? This is talking about diversity. If you remember the very first words that we see, and, and he put them in the inform, I'm sorry, and he put them, ah, verse nine, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree, every tree, every tree, not just orange trees, not just apple trees, not just pear trees, not just fig trees, but he made what every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's black, white, brown, yellow, tall, Short, round, pudgy, the, all that. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Diversity and balance of grace and truth should be in the house. You should be in a place where you are challenged even with, with optics and how the room looks. Why? Because in the garden, God didn't, didn't just favor one type of person, one type of tree, one type of vegetation. He says, I'm gonna give these, all these things to you. And so when you look for next, I challenge you to not just be limited by the skin color. I challenge you to, be limited, to not be limited by any of those things, that there is also cultural differences even in a room where all the people look the same on the outside. There's gonna be difference. So you might not be able to find something that is as diverse ethnically, but I, turn, I challenge you to find a place that's diverse culturally. Does that make sense? Uh, eight, Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 18. Then to Adam he said, because you have, and this is when it gets kind of crazy, right? This, this was, ground gets cursed here. Then he, then he talks to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, curses the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18, both, both thorns and thistles. What did he say? Thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Listen to this. This is the ground is cursed, and I'm telling you this because there's no perfect place. There's no perfect place. Don't look for Eden slash mending place. <laughs> There's no perfect place. There's no work-free place. 
There's no pain-free place. And anyone who projects this to you, stay away. Do you hear what I'm saying? No work-free, no pain-free. This is what we see in those two verses, verse 17 and verse 18 of Genesis chapter 3. We see that the ground was cursed, and it says that it's, it's, it's important that you see this, that it's going to be harder to get what's there out of it. It's going to be harder. There's no perfect place. Don't limit yourself in that way. Number nine, Genesis chapter three, verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. To do what to the ground? Till the ground. Go to work. Go to work. Go to work. When the time is right, don't go to spectate. Go to work. If you know anything, we talk often here at the church about what? There's no way you're gonna be a member here unless you do what? Serve. Serve. Get in the room and serve. Start doing something other than just coming and consuming. Contribute, give, deposit. Do something other than just saying, I like it when I go there, I can sit. Uh, it, it, it scratches some need for me and I walk away and I never contribute in other ways. Listen, the scripture here says that, the, that God told Adam that you're gonna have to do it till the ground. You're going to have to be able to work the ground. It was always intended for mankind to till the ground. It was always intended for God to do that. That's why he put man in the garden in the first place. But he just simply said that it's going to be harder in this season. And in matter of fact, after you get kicked out of the garden, there's still the same principle at play. You're going to go now and till the ground that's even less favorable. Wherever it is that you go, know that you're going to have to work. Work on things, work on people, work with people, and let people work on you and work with you because iron sharpens iron. Go to work. Go to work. If you haven't said ouch in a while, then this is for you. You need to go to work. You need to go and get in a room where people are going to challenge you and other, otherwise, and you can challenge them. Genesis chapter 4, this is number 10. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. And the scripture says, and in the process of time, someone say in the process of time, the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. I want to focus on this idea that things never spring up overnight. Good stuff never springs up overnight. Only thing I know that springs up overnight are dandelions. And I don't know where they come from. I don't know how they do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know why dandelions can spring up overnight? Because they're really hollow. Anybody ever taken one of them off the stem? You can see all the way through it like it's a straw. Things that are hollow spring up overnight. Does that make sense? And it's the same way that for you that if you're going to get into a place spiritual and you think you're going to grow and develop, and you think you're going to be, boom, I just, if, if it's good, then I'm going to grow overnight. No, 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 no. Things take time. I'm still waiting on some of you to grow. <laughs> I'm just joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I should have turned around and said that so you didn't think I was thinking about you. I'm still waiting on it. Listen, what you need to know is that this is gonna take time to grow and to develop and it doesn't come overnight. It was in the process of time that there were seasons of sowing, seasons of cultivating, irrigation, before there was growth and development. It's gonna take time. Wherever you go next, you might not just step right in and immediately experience the growth that you think you're gonna get if it was good ground. It sometimes takes time. It takes some time for you to realize that this is why God's brought me here. And this is the area that I'm supposed to be really focused on. I see what he's doing in my life through this experience. And many of you came in the room and you've been here before and you still don't really know exactly why God has you here. I hope that you've, you've got that narrowed down at some point, like, you know, we only got a couple more weeks left, that you would narrow it down to be like, well, why is it that God has me here? What was he, what was he intending? What did he want me to get? If this is all a part of his plan, then I don't want to walk out of this season and miss the why? The why? Why would I walk out of here and be like, I don't even really understand that? And not that you would get it all in one setting, but that you would even challenge yourself to think like, okay, so God, what did you want to do through that? And that even more will be revealed later on. I encourage you to think that way, that it sometimes takes time to see fruit and things produced in your life. Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. I told, uh, this is some of the side note to that last, last point. Uh, my old pastor told me, uh, he prophesied over my life when I was at, at the altar one day. He said, he said you're, you're an oak tree. At the time, I was like, ooh, yeah, I like that oak tree. Sounded real good. Then I started doing some study on oak tree, and I was like, I don't know, man, if I want to be an oak tree. 
you know? I was like, I want to be an almond tree because almond trees produce fruit early in the season. I was like, I want to be like, you know, boom, show out, stand out. I started looking at an oak tree and it was like, you know, it takes sometimes 30, 40 years for an oak tree to really get to a point to where it's, it's like an oak tree that we know to be an oak tree that it takes years before it even produces acorns. Like there's no even fruit being produced. It's just growing and just taking up minerals and resources and maybe providing a little bit of shade, but not what we think about when we think about oak trees. When we think oak trees, we don't think seeds. We don't think acorns. We think giant, tall, strong, hard wood. And all of a sudden you, you think about yourself and the Lord, as the Lord prophesied into my life through my pastor, I was grateful because uh, what he said was true. It took time and it's still taking time to produce some things in my life. Uh, number 11, this is Genesis chapter four, verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother, this is the Lord talking to Abel or Cain, I'm sorry. The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. I want to elevate this for you as you get ready to look at the next, your next church, wherever it is you go and you become a part of the community. You need to go to a place where injustices are elevated and current affairs are addressed. Good ground will allow us to be in places where we cannot afford to ignore some of the things that are going on in our community, in our culture, because everyone is experiencing pain or stress from it. You go to a church, a place where they're at a place where they have to address those issues and they can't just go on with the general series they're going on with and not talk about Floyd, not talk about an insurrection on the Capitol, not talk about the things that are going on in our community with political standing. Sometimes it's important for you to know that when you come into church on Sunday, I know that my pastor is gonna have a word to address this issue so that it will give me guidelines and give me a way of dealing with it, a way of seeing it through the scripture and through the scriptures where I need to see it from. Not the way I grew up, not the way that I have seen things in my life played out. I need to know that I'm going to be able to get that. I don't care if he's in the middle of it, if it's an Easter message, if it's right for them to break free to actually address the issue, I know that the blood that cries from any community will not be ignored in this place because God says the blood speaks even from this ground. And if it's good ground, then the injustices and pains that are people groups are experiencing that are marginalized, that there are going to be someone who's going to address it and talk about it. If you've been in this room long enough, you know that I do it all the time. If something massive happens, not the little stuff, but something massive happens on a national scale, global scale, that's, that it requires us to address it, guess what you're gonna find? On Sunday morning, you're gonna come in here and that's what we're gonna be talking about. I don't care if something happens on Saturday night, then it's my responsibility to prepare for it, just like when 9-11 happened, it would be ridiculous for you to come in on a, on a Sunday morning after 9-11 and have me talking about uh, the, the best way to get your kids to behave at the house. But if you go to some churches, depending on where you go, they could just wash over injustices and things that are going on in the community because why? We want to keep the church clean. And Lord knows, this is how we started framing it. The church should, the world shouldn't be in the church. That's what we start saying, stuff like that. But you listen long enough, they start saying, well, things went bad when they took prayer out of schools, but the church wants to be in the world. Which one is it? You gotta have both of those. We address both of them. Uh, 12, Genesis chapter four, verse 11 through 12. Thank you guys for being so gracious and paying attention here. So, so, now, so now you are cursed from the earth, this is the Lord talking now, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it is, so, it is no longer yields its strength to you. Now, I want you to think about the two curses that I just, I've, I've elevated. The first curse was saying that it was going to be hard, but it didn't say that the production would be decreased. Now we see another curse coming that says now not only will it be hard, but the production will be in a decrease as well. So when we see those two things, we see that there's different things going on. When you till the ground, this is verse 12, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And I see this and I say to you, don't become a cane in your next season. Don't become a cane in your next season. The first penalty, the first curse came because there was a spiritual death 
The second curse came because there was a physical death. You need to know that when you go into your next season, that you don't, you don't rise up against your brother and begin to come against him and try to kill them out because you're frustrated about what you perceive God is or isn't doing with your sacrifice. Don't, don't rise up and kill your brother. You say, I would never do that. Well, the reason why we're talking about it is because it's in the word. It has happened before. It happened physically, but this is a principle that's at play with anyone who is trying to figure out what's next for them and where they, ma- they, they stack up and where they measure up. How they then engage with their next season because that ain't the, way, that ain't the place we came from and they, we, don't, we didn't do it like that at the place I was. And if you guys were really good, then you would do it like this. And the whole time you're doing the same thing that Cain and Abel experienced. They're both trying to please God but one gets angry with their self and the situation because of the way God is receiving them. And whatever that was with, with Cain, he got angry and thought the only way he could take it out, the only way he could make himself feel good is by eliminating Abel. Don't you think that your next season of joy or health or whatever is gonna come because you beat up other churches? You beat up other members. You take a rock to them or whatever it is and you just beat them in the head because they don't say Easter, they say Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> That's from one of my brothers in the back. <laughs> You're just gonna beat them. You're just gonna do the whole cane thing on them because they got a Christmas tree in the church. You're just gonna beat them. Because they got brothers who wear T-shirts and are muscle bound. We're just gonna beat them. Can you believe that? They got women wearing open-toed sandals. We just gonna beat them. I can't believe this church. No one wears a suit. Gonna beat them. Or we're mad because they do wear suits. Or we're mad because of this. Don't you dare go around and be a cane in this next season. Don't do it. Don't do it. I I I had this experience, me and my wife, we leave our old church we're in the process, this is April of 2009. We didn't start mending place to August of 2009. So we had several months where God was taking us to other churches. I've told some of you this before. I'm in the process of just riding around town and going to visit other churches here in Wichita, Kansas. Excited about not being at the place we were because it was good to get away. But then I was going through and there was something at the lens of my eyes of what I saw and how I perceived what other people were doing in their own communities of faith. I was so critical. I'd get in the car after it was all over with and I'd sit in church like this sometimes and be like, yeah, they don't really get it. Yeah, they're not impressing me. They're not spiritual. If the Holy Spirit was here, they would do this. I mean, all they're missing is just a little bit of this and they would really be something. And the whole time, I'm just caning them, just beating the people up. Until one time, I'm getting ready to leave a church on the east side of Wichita and I'm getting in the parking lot and I'm about to do the same thing I had done maybe three or four Sundays prior to that to every church that I attended. I get in the car and I'm walking, we're driving out of the the parking lot and we're getting ready to go home and the Holy Spirit stops me before I can even get anything out of my mouth because just me and my wife and I'm about to down, you know, I didn't really like, you know. uh, And the Holy Spirit said that I'm doing all this for you, not for them. So that you would what, see you, that you would see how you've become jacked up, how you've become so, 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 it's so small and so narrow because you've been going to that one place for that long time and you've been taught that they were the greatest thing under the sun and no one was ever balancing the teaching about there's other things that God is doing, he's doing it in a different way. He says, I'm doing this for you so that you won't then start mending place and think that you could outrun this bad behavior. You would just then go into mending places and just duplicate the same type of thing. That mending place is the only place that God is using. That's not true. It's not true. And, and there's no way that just because we do things some ways, it doesn't mean that we prefer it this way. It doesn't mean that God's not giving someone else to do it this other way and he's not moving in their life. He's not moving in that ministry. And there's no way you're gonna find the perfect place. Get that out of your head. And the moment he said that, I immediately had to repent of all the things that I had said negative about all the other churches I had ever attended. 
It's, it's, it's a lot like what you say about babies before you have your own. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're real critical when you're in the restaurant and you see other kids' babies acting up. I just wish they would, they need to do something with that baby. I mean, you see all that food they got over the floor? No, -uh, I just can't believe all that. And then when you have your own, you start realizing like, I, maybe I spoke a little too soon. I was real critical before I had my own church. And the Holy Spirit began to say, listen, you better be real careful what you say before you have your own, and then people will come into your church and do exactly the same thing that you're doing now to these other churches. They came in, they sat. They thought, it's happened to me. I sold the seed, and even though I repented, I had still sown the seed. And I saw people come in and they would be like. <laughs> I saw people get invited in by other people, other people who were enjoying it. I like this church, come and see it with me. They wouldn't bring somebody else in who was very critical, and that critical person would then take them away because uh, you don't, it, it's really not all that. <laughs> what am I learning from that? That I would want to instruct you to be better, to, to, to learn from my mistakes, that you wouldn't have to go through and experience the same thing. That as you go into your next, that you would take these points, these principles, you would keep them close to you. Maybe even put them in the car on the dashboard. You know, as you're getting ready to go into the next church, you can look through them and remind yourself of what you're looking for and what you should not do in that space. Because I don't like it when you muddy the waters before you even get there. It's hard. Anybody ever, you, you destroyed a good thing? Things were going good and you just came in and just started muddying the waters and you're like, I can't even drink out of that no more because I've already defiled the place. I made it so hard I can't drink from it now. I don't want you to be like that. God's got a spot for you, just like he's got a spot for us. A spot for me, me and my family, me and my wife. Me and my family, we're gonna go look. We're gonna go look for churches. We're gonna go spy out good ground. We're gonna go look for places where we could get involved, get engaged, and we're gonna take these exact same principles that I'm sharing with you, and we're gonna put them into play. We're gonna employ them as we go to next. Some of the more technical things for some of you who, who are astute enough. I would never go to a church that I have not looked at the statement of faith prior to going. Statement of faith, normally you can find it online. It's in there, what we believe is what that might be called. And you'll see some very high level stuff. And sometimes it says, it says the same thing and sometimes there's little tweaks in there. I encourage you to kind of explore that. What they believe about salvation, what they believe about resurrection, what they believe about Christ and who He is, what they believe about the Holy Spirit. If you want to compare the two, you can go look at our statement of faith that's online right now and copy it, save it, whatever it is, and compare our statement of faith versus the place you're going in their statement of faith to help you navigate what might they be teaching and how might I experience them in this way in the room. Does that make sense? Okay. There's something to consider, something to think about. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for what it looks like for you to be going into your next. Praying for you to find good ground. That your eyes would be sharp, dialed in. You would be wise. Not just right, but wise. It's important that you're wise. Father, even now for these who are in this room, I thank you that you have created good ground for us. Now give us the courage to see things as you see it. To not just stand on good ground, but to be willing to die in good ground. Some of us might have just happened into this space, into this church, without giving it too much of a vetting. You've been gracious, you've been kind. But let us be more intentional in this next season, this next hour. Let's not lie to ourselves and say we're looking for good ground, but we sit at home on Sundays. Let's not lie to ourselves and say we're looking for good ground, but we're gonna do it virtually. 
Give us courage. Give us courage. Know that we've been trained uniquely. We've got eyes to see. And I know some people who are listening even now after hearing these, these principles, these steps, they probably realize they're not in good ground. Give them courage to find good ground, wherever they're at. Not every church is a good church, but not every church is a bad church. There's some that are very sick, but there's some that are very healthy. Wherever it is, God, give us courage to go where you called us to go. Whether it's in an embryonic state where the pastor's pulling stuff out of his truck or van to make it happen, or whether it's in a place that's a little more developed, a little further down the road where it looks like they got some things on the ball, they're going in this direction. I pray the landing, but also pray the sowing that we would go not looking for what we can get out of the land only, but what we can put in, what we can contribute, what we can share. It's not easy, but your grace is sufficient. Just like it was to get into this, you give us grace to go into next. Thank you for the courage and the wisdom of those who are gonna see it through to the end. May they be the beneficiaries of their consistency and tenacity even to August 8th of this place and may then it be a launching pad for their next. Bless them richly. In Jesus' name, amen. All for you, all for you.